When we talk about GovCon different, the different piece matters. Cliff and I are bought in, invested in the notion of intersection, in the notion of collision, different personalities, different ideas, different energy, different expertise, and smashing it together to see what it'll yield. Our next guest, Dr. Merritt Moore, she's a quantum physicist, has degrees out of Harvard and Oxford, atomic and laser physics, quantum physics, but she's also a ballerina, a professional dancer, and she's out there breaking down barriers. She's taking her passion for dance and her understanding of choreography and she's working with a robot and dancing on stage and they're dancing together. You've got to check out the videos. They're mind-blowing. But what Merit is an example of when we talk about GovCon different is an inspiring example of going for it, of sending it, knowing that there are risks, but saying, you know what? Technology, if it's just designed with the regs and the rules for pragmatism, we don't really get the full value out of it. She's changing the way we think about technology by infusing it with creativity. But that, in turn, is changing the way we think about humanity. Merit thinks different. The energy is contagious. The substance behind what she does is contagious. But the craziest time was doing double shows of Nutcracker with a Boston ballet, but I was still working in the lab. And so I would be bowing, running off stage, like taking off the point shoes and the tutu and the hairnet, jumping in a cab to go to the lab at Harvard, go all the way downstairs to the basement, take a retina scan. And then I would have to put on the full body suit, the gloves, work in the lab, and then like look at the clock and be like, oh my God, I gotta run. And then take off the, the huge suit and the gloves and then get back in the tutu and the point shoes, do a performance for the evening show. GovCon Different. Ideas from the outside applied to GovCon to drive change. It's like TED Talks meets the federal space. Different ideas from different industries uncovered, unvarnished, and smashed together to produce change in the government space. Join us as we explore a world of GovCon possibilities. Merritt, it is just a delight to be uh, talking with you again today. Ah, thank you. So Cliff and I, in doing our research, and normally we don't do bios in the beginning of the show. We just kind of jump right in. But your case, maybe we'll make a slight exception. You have a bachelor's from Harvard in physics. Mm -hmm. You have a PhD from Oxford in atomic and laser physics. You've been a pro ballet dancer. You've danced with the Boston, the Zurich, the English ballet. You've been featured in Forbes and recognized in Forbes for the 30 under 30. You started Sasters, which is a group dedicated to getting young girls encouraged and juiced about STEM. You're a speaker at the Forbes Women's Summit, TED, and a variety of other places. You've partnered to create a film called Duality, and you've been hosted at the Imagine Film Conference. And I'm just, I mean, this goes on and on and on. And we're not trying to embarrass you, but we're just looking at this, the two of us. You've been in publications, Vogue, BBC on print and TV, Forbes, Psychology Today, Glamour, New York Post, just to name a few. So I've got to tell you, Merritt, Cliff and I are not nearly as good at math as you are. But when we added up, I'm 48, he's 30. So we got to 78. And I said, Cliff, this is depressing. 
In our 78 years, we've accomplished like one one hundredth of what Merit has. So I got to tell Aww. you, it's just so cool to be talking to you today. Thank you so much. And you have such an amazing bio, such an amazing resume, all whatever those fancy words are. How the heck do you manage to do all this? <laughs> hey, thank you. Um, well, out of it's interesting when we talk about like CVs and bios and stuff, because I would say what I'm most proud of is actually if I had a failure CV, because I think that list is long that you, you know, that you listed off. But I would say my failure CV is like from here to <laughs> from London to LA. Like it, it would just be so incredibly long. <laughs> I would say part of it is a philosophy of like, don't think, just do. Mm-hmm. Like just don't overthink it. Um, because I think we paralyze ourselves. And and so my strategy is just like keep my head down, continue working. Um, I'm a believer. I use like Newton's third law as a philosophy. So like every action has an opposite and equal right. reaction. So I, I'll just think like, don't know where this is going. Feels like I'm at a plateau, but I just, I have this like belief that if I just continue putting in work and just show up every day, it does pay off in the end. And sometimes it pays off like seven years from where I'm at, <laughs> right. but I do, <laughs> I just like, I'm like, it, you know, <laughs> new to third law, <laughs> it will pay off. I, I love the idea of of pressing and thinking, but not overthinking things. Mm-hmm. And because Cliff and I have found that so much, that's where great stuff can happen, right? Yeah. Where you just, you're doing intersecting new ideas and so forth. Now, I want to go just a little bit deeper on the notion of the the ballet piece. As I, as I told you before, when we talked, mm-hmm. the, I think ballet is fascinating, yet I think my brother and I broke my mom's heart when she would try to get us to watch Nutcracker and whatever. We just wouldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Yet as I'm older now, I'm doing yoga. And this is hilarious because I'm in the class pre-COVID. I do all the moves wrong. Yet I'm fascinated by it. I love the meditative aspects. I love how it frees up my aging body. But if you would, it fascinates me to think about the life of a dancer. What does a, mm. what does a day look like as a, as a dancer? What's that routine like? Um, normal dancers are, um, so (laughs) I, um, so definitely in my life, I've, I, I view it as levers. Like I will up the dance or or up the physics. So when I'm intense in dance mode and company, um, I'm up at like 5.30 AM. I'm at a hot yoga at six to seven. I'm at the theater by 7.30 I warm up and I'm stretching there doing exercises from 7.30 to 9.30. So I've warmed up three hours before the warm-up class, which is wow. at 9.30. Um, but this is me because I'm a little nuts. But also, <laughs> I'm also catching up with everyone who's danced their whole life. So sure. um, then it's warm-up class. And then you've got like two hours of rehearsal. You get an hour lunch break, which sometimes is filled with going to the physiotherapist. You've got like three more hours of rehearsal. You get a couple hours off. Then you start hair and makeup and you have a two to three hour performance, um, which might finish at 11 p.m. You're then in the sauna and ice bath. So you're in the sauna with ice on your um, muscles, three minutes ice, three minutes hot, back and forth. Does that sound as brutal as it, or does that feel as brutal as it sounds? It gets a bit like... 
off days, I'm not leaving my bed. <laughs> like, good luck. Like, people are like, oh, it's your off day. Let's hang out. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> right. I am staying in my onesie, in my bed. Hot. I will get out of bed to get a hot chocolate, but then that is it. <laughs> well, and there were times where you were doing physics and the dance in yeah, the same day. Absolutely. What does that look like? Because even the dance alone, huh, goodness, really again, I'm, I'm getting depressed. I don't think I can do that. <laughs> There were two different scenarios. One was when I was studying and taking all the, it was like thermodynamics, computer science, like quantum and um, like a gov class. And one, I just remember like coming back from rehearsals like super late at night and stopping by the physics, the department and like going into empty classroom and like pretending like I was teaching this empty class physics with my leg up trying to stretch and doing my <laughs> relevés and I'm just like what is going on um but the craziest time was doing double shows of Nutcracker with a Boston ballet so matinee and evening every single day and then I took the semester off of courses but I was still working in the lab and so I would be at the theater in the morning do the performance then we would be bowing and as I'm like running off stage like taking off the point wow. shoes and the tutu and the hairnet jumping in the cab <laughs> to go to the lab at harvard which was then i'd have to like go all the way downstairs to the basement it was this lab where you would take a retina scan and then go welcome you have been detected and then i would have to put on the full body suit the gloves the wow. you know the, the hairnet everything work in the lab and then like look at the clock and be like, oh my God, I gotta run. And then take off the the huge suit and the gloves and the hairnet and then get back in the tutu and the point shoes, do a performance for the evening show. So it was really fun, but it was it was a lot to be doing all at once. I'll say it would be. <laughs> and I you know, it's when you're talking about the the physics stuff, I can understand the words, but I can't put myself in your shoes to actually think about what you're doing. I don't I don't have that training. Combining the creativity, the mm -hmm. feel, the sense yeah. of the arts, and combining that with physics, mm -hmm. and especially in COVID, you're intersecting the two. Tell us, if you would, about your, your work that you've been up to over the past several months during this pandemic, Merit. Well, the pandemic hit in March, and... I, I've been so intrigued by the notion of creativity of, are you born with it? Can you learn it? How do you, how can it be inspired? How do you enhance it? What, you know, those kind of things. And um, coming from the science physics background and, you know, being in the arts, I was really intrigued by the overlap and in how tech and AI in particular could enhance human creativity and inspiration. Mm -hmm. So previously I was at Norwegian National Ballet. A friend of a friend like play, had a robot, industrial robotic arm for their job. And I was like, can I, can I come play? Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then Harvard Art Lab invited me as one of their first artists in residence to explore that more for, um, in January and February. Mm -hmm. and then lockdown happened and it was really devastating for all the dance world mm -hmm. because all performances ended it's training i mean we train eight hours a day at least and we need the space and we need 
that energy. And I was just thinking, I was like, hmm, funny I was just working with a robot though. Who knew that a robot could be my only potential dance partner for a very long time? So I was in London. I had been in Boston. And so in London, I was then calling up the robotics company being like, hey, you want to lend me a robot? They're like, no. <laughs> I was like, but really? They're like, no. I was like, but actually, I think you do. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh, this girl won't go away. It's been March, April, May, June, July. And they're like, fine. By August, they're like, okay, you get a robot. <laughs> um, and at first it was just for two weeks and then it was a month and now it's been six months and it just, uh, it's, it keeps on uh, growing. And I, um, and so I'd been working with this industrial robotic arm in a playful way because I, I'm a believer that, yeah, for breakthroughs in arts and science, I think the best way is through play. Mm -hmm. When it's too forced, you, you go down this traditional route and you're, you're already anticipating what you want. And so you don't you don't make any breakthroughs because it's so structured. Um, so my approach has been just just fun and play and games and but wanting to make a breakthrough in arts. But also now I talk to roboticists and and engineers and working on the science side of things to also see how a creative aspect can then enhance and make um, breakthroughs in research. What was, and, and by the way, I have watched some of the videos mm -hmm. and, and they're amazing. And mm -hmm. my daughter, my daughter's 17, Abby, and she's watched them. Ah, cool. And there's, there's so many questions that, that come to mind. I guess the first would be, what's that like? What does it feel like dancing with a machine versus a, hey, I'm dancing with another person? I, what's that like? How is it different? How is it the same? Uh, it's, it's kind of like a companionship, though. I would say mm -hmm. like it's a lot easier I find to be at the studio which happens often like till midnight creating these dances with this object rather than I think if I was just doing it on my own. Yeah. And it's just like a huge puzzle. So I used to love puzzles as a kid like 3D puzzles and just putting things together and often when I'm doing these dances with a robot it's like I mean it's a sick jointed arm thing. And I'm trying to make it mimic a head, two arms, and two legs, and a body, right? So it's, it is a bit. I'm always like tilting my head from side to side, being like, "How? What are we gonna do?" <laughs> <laughs> but then when I, I know when I've got it, and I'm like, yeah, "Yep, there we go." Like yeah. when I got the kip thing for the Michael Jackson move, <laughs> you should have seen like the iterations that went through that. Like, I, I think it looks quite easy when you'd see it at first, but. I was like, do I use it with this joint or that joint? Like, how do we make this happen? Right. And then when I got it, I was it, like, it's working. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I got to tell you, at least for for me, none of it looks easy, right? I, I, I'm there in awe in how the positions that you're striking and, and the robot. Mm. So when it comes to working with the robot, are you programming it to do certain moves? Yeah, so there, there are various um, projects, I would say, with the robot. So one which has been for during mainly during lockdown um and mainly because i i thought i was only having the robot for two weeks and then a month so i didn't want to set up all the interactive stuff but mm -hmm. it is yeah i'll choreograph a dance and then map it onto the robot and and program it the the part that takes a really long time is tweaking the timing to match mm -hmm. the music but there are various strands of it where at harvard i was working on using um, HTC Vive, these devices used for VR, 
-hmm. but you could then position places in space for the robot to come to. So it's interactive or you can do a movement and the robot will mimic that. Wow. Is that cool? Yeah. Yeah. Or you could program it. So it does the opposite. That's the exciting stuff that I'm really intrigued by. And I think will be, you know, future developments that, um, yeah, just pushing this project forward. We read so much today, of course, about artificial intelligence and mm-hmm. machine learning. Mm-hmm. Is, is that part of this merit? As Does the robotic arm learn as it goes? So not these dances, but this is how the project kind of started. Was In Norway, I was kind of collaborating with these researchers at the University of Oxford, specifically Benedicte Wallace, roboticist at Hero Futures. And so for her research, like I got into a, a motion capture suit and dance to music, those movements were stored as data to then feed mm-hmm. into machine learning to then create more dance. Like, so then, and various people danced, and it's all data that's then fed into AI machine learning to then create more dances, which is super cool. Cause I think yeah. that's the future of expanding like human creativity is just like seeing different examples infusions of things, seeing if we can then map that onto a robot. But that will be, you know, it's a very long process in doing that. But that's mm-hmm. what I'm, I'm super excited about. I can imagine. And when I think about choreography, mm-hmm. and again, this is an area where I know the word, but I've never really choreographed mm-hmm. something outside of perhaps a podcast, Cliff and I. But when you just think about a dance and being on stage and I'm going to choreograph this versus when you're doing it now with the robot, is it wildly different? Are there similarities? You know, what? what's the choreographing look like with the robot? I think it's quite similar. So I imagine, you know, choreographer enters a studio and they have a vision. Good choreographers will also look at their dancers and see, okay, where, where are the strengths? Mm-hmm. And let's highlight those. Unless it's, for teaching purposes and then, okay, what are their weaknesses and make <laughs> force them to do those over and over. But it's kind of similar in that sense where you're like, okay, what's, what are the strengths, but also not wanting to limit oneself to just looking at the strengths. Otherwise you're going to get something that's very conventional and predictable. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think it's like acknowledging what those are and then asking, ah, but can it also do the opposite? Yeah. Like, for instance, I was talking to a great uh, artist who I, who I admire, uh, Thomas Heatherwick, who's an architect. And he comes up with these really brilliant structures that are just blow people's minds away. But what he starts off with is like, what's the conventional things that people associate with this? And then can you do the opposite? Um, and, and so that's a nice kind of m- mental practice. Yeah, I love that framework. Yeah, to continually try to push the boundaries and then uh, coming up with something new. Yeah, and pushing boundaries, Mm -hmm. that's so much merit of, it seems to us, what you do. And and we love it. On this show, we're looking for a collision, intersection of ideas so that we can get better in government. Mm -hmm. And so my thought and question would be, what has the reaction been in this dancing with robots and pushing boundaries amongst the scientific community, amongst the art community? What's the response been? 
I would say it was it was a little tough in the beginning uh-huh. because I was doing stuff that was to popular music and so different that people didn't know how to respond. Mm-hmm. And I would say I initially actually got some feedback that was um, being like, "What are you doing?" and 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 to a point, I actually stopped for two weeks. Um, because I, I was like, I, I don't, I don't know. Wait, like, kind of, it kind of shakes you yeah, when you're getting that it feedback. Shakes me a little bit, and and I've seen this before because I, I tend to push. Um, he, <laughs> you get resistance at the beginning, yeah, and then people come onto it. So it's definitely it's very different reaction now to when it was first happening. I totally get in any creative any academic exercise, you know, since we've been doing the podcast, I've had people tell me all kinds of things. Some not so flattering, right? Oh my God, you laugh too loud. You're this, you, you know, you interrupted there, all of these different things. And there are times where I'm like, God, that really bothers me. But I hear you also, it's like, all right, enough of that. My passion is to keep doing this, right? So when, when did you know that it was starting to turn though? Of where at first people were a little bit unsure, gee, is this something okay to where, huh, people are starting to see that this is cool. It's interesting because also uh, what's funny how our brains work because there was this immediate kind of positive resounding, like uh, all the videos just got, were shared and reshared and, and for like 14 million views and and all these things but it's mm-hmm. sometimes just a few voices like the can be really loud in one's head yes <laughs> so um but I, I love you know i love hearing feedback so i just want to absorb it all and and hear and see if i can learn and then you know i, I digest it and be like oh actually eh, that one we don't mm-hmm. need and you know what i found merit is if it's just somebody that i don't know i can shake it off in two mm-hmm. seconds if it's a friend or if it's a fa- those are the ones, you know, family member, God, why are you doing that? And I'm like, oh, well, you're just not listening, you know, that type of thing, right? So I, I do get it. Yeah. And I, I love the courage. I love the boldness to be doing the, the groundbreaking things that you're doing. And, you know, there's a question where people might say, well, why is it important to breathe creativity and expression into technology? But I think just looking at your work, it answers that question. It comes up with something that nobody ever could have imagined. But I'll stop there because this is where somebody will say, you know, you're talking too much and you should have let Merit answer the question. Your thoughts again, why it is so important that tech is just not pragmatic, but that we breathe creativity and life into it. Well, one, I, I think it's a shame how tech science, you know, all the STEM subjects are taught um, it really it really bothers me. So yeah. you know, you're like given a textbook and told to like memorize the equation and regurgitate it on an exam and forgetting how actually all these brilliant ideas came about. Like for instance, you know, Einstein imagining himself on a light beam, looking forward, looking back, and then coming up with special relativity and knowing intuitively that it was right, but then learning the math to then persuade his um, yeah. colleagues and just, you know, same with Heisenberg and the uncertainty principle, like it all came from imagination and creativity. And mm-hmm. so I think not only does that mindset help in the 
tech world, but also I think what the arts can do is like push past the traditional methods of testing. So Mm -hmm. it helps find the corner cases, the edge cases, the unexpected cases, and find the outlier events to, you know, test for success and failure and, you know, look at new movement and interactions that wouldn't have been tested otherwise because we're used to a traditional method that people have done previously. And so we'll just use that same method to uh, repeat. But then, you know, finding interesting and creative ways and is particularly with dance and robots, like, you know, looking at humans' weight or balance and pushing the boundaries and improve, you know, for the tech, you know, perhaps the intention is like to improve its robustness and reliability in long term. You know, when you talk about Einstein Mm -hmm. riding a light beam or Heisenberg, it's fascinating. And I'd say, wow, I'd I'd love to learn about that. Yet when I was a kid, it was just presented to me as here are formulas, here are equations, et cetera. Why is it that in your view that STEM, we've allowed it to become so dry and so detached from the inspiration, from the ideas, from the context? This era, we've just become obsessed with trying to find a formula, like a quick cure, quick band-aid solution, like a one, two, three step. Like somehow we figured out we're like manuals. Okay, now let's make everything a manual. Right. Like life a manual, like <laughs> and wait, like everything. And so we look like, okay, these scientists made it this way. We will now package this and go through school like this and get A's on this exam. And this is our vision of what the future looks like, you know, to be successful in the future and check, 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 check. There's just no flexibility. And it is a different time though, as well. Like I think we look back at the Renaissance period and like, oh, there are all these polymaths and they were doing science and art. We also look back and are like, yeah, but practically also they were kind of cared for and had no worries. And, you know, the people that could succeed, like were financed and could just like lounge around and read, right? Yes, Medici effectively all that stuff. (laughs) You're like, um, and and, and I think that mentality though of the science and arts needs to come back, but also looking at the current structure of where we're at today and be like, okay, so how, how do we make this much more accommodating? But yeah, there's this, I think a great fear of doing things a different way and um, mm-hmm. which is a shame. You know, and it's Cliff and I were talking before we started the show. Sometimes mm-hmm. some folks have rigid personalities. We've had people tell us with the video for the show and all of that, that, oh my goodness, that's too, it's too challenging. It's too creative. It's too, and we're like, yeah, we know that's <laughs> what we wanted to do, right? So it it does seem that maybe certain personality types mm. um, oppose it more than others. Mm. Uh, one question: Do you keep a journal or a log when you're going through daily? Oh, I have various various journals. I'll speak on both parts of that. So I think there are rigid personalities, but also I think the more experiences you have, just the more flexible you become. You know, the traveling and yeah. living abroad. I think after this pandemic, I hope every, you know, people will be like, oh, actually, it's quite flexible. Like, man, yeah. <laughs> we all survived. It was like tumultuous. But yeah, I mean, ever since I was 15, I kept journals and 
inspirational quotes and logged everything. And I'm, you know, I have the to-do list. I love writing out dreams. Once a year, I'll go through kind of what I want to work on. And then I forget about it. I leave it in a drawer. And years later, I look back and I'm like, well done. <laughs> yeah. It's magical. And, and, I think it's so magical. You forget what you wrote down and then you're like, huh, I didn't well, remember I wrote that down. And so it's interesting to me, it's art and free expression, but that doesn't mean detached from discipline or recording what work. There still is that balance. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's definitely a balance, right? Of being mm-hmm. like tuning into where I'm at. So mm-hmm. if I'm like physically super exhausted, I'm like, okay, let's make this an email day. I'll kind of, I'll try to go with the momentum of where I'm at, but yeah. also, you know, you got to push and do what you don't necessarily really feel like doing. That's an awareness too, isn't it? Mindfulness <laughs> yeah. and awareness of when I'm more creative, when I'm not, when I should yeah. push and, and so forth. Now you mentioned failures. Uh, I've had some spectac- spectacular failures in my life. What are a, a few of yours maybe that you'd be willing to talk about that were important to you that really, you know, helped you grow, develop, uh, maybe pivot a new direction? Oh, man, where does I think it should start from the beginning? Well, I would (laughs) say growing up, I was one of those kids that was kind of quiet in the back. And it never shined right away. I was one of those kids where often would end up like being the worst one in the class because I started dance late and, and physics late, which looking back, I'm like so grateful for mm-hmm. um, because it just made, gained that ability to be in the room and be super happy if I'm improving myself, no matter where I am in the room. I mean, my mother would say, Mary, well, you do fail your way to the top because <laughs> <laughs> I would like audition for all these things. And like, I know it's like, get into this summer program but I'd be like in the lowest level or something and then mm-hmm. I would you know I would just constantly be like get to a competition and I'd have like just gotten in to the semifinals but you know been the like last one or something <laughs> but like right. constantly getting you know higher up on this ladder but definitely never being the golden child of that ladder. So, so your thought if you could just get in the game then you'd mm-hmm. figure it out. Then you'd keep yeah. grinding at it and doing it. I'm just it, grinding. Huh? I'm like just just get me in the room and then I'll improve, you know, and and that will make me happy. And yeah. certainly had tons of what people would call failures. I went to Harvard because I never well, I never thought I would make it as a professional ballet dancer because I started at 13 and that's mm-hmm. middle age and you might as well just give up. So sophomore year, I went and I just decided, I was like, you know what, I really want to try. And I'd been hearing people around me saying, oh, like all the older generation saying, oh, I quit dance. Like I regret it so much. I actually was talented, but fear held me back or this held me back and I regret it. And I just thought, I was like, oh, regret would be, is my greatest fear. Like, I don't want to be all looking back and wishing that I had pushed a little bit more. So that year I went on, I mean, 25 auditions, failed 24 times and made it into the company the 25th time. But that was, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of no's like, no, 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 no. How do you at the 24th still get up off the dance floor basically and say, I'm going to do this and and have the confidence. How do you do that, Merritt? Because I, my whole life is I, I pride myself in my tenacity. But again, compared to you, I'm, I'm like, now I'm feeling humbled. So how do you do that? 
Um, I would say it was actually the hardest ones were the first couple of auditions. By the 24th one and getting a no, I was full on having a blast. <laughs> like I was, it was a full on party and I was loving it. And um, there are a couple reasons. One was, yeah, I think I would say one of my strengths is coming from a situation and asking questions in order to problem solve. Mm-hmm. So after the first couple of auditions where I was getting no's, um, you know, of course the doubts come in of like, am I going to make it? Is this worthwhile? Et cetera. And in my head, I was like, don't know if I'm going to make it. Um, is this worthwhile? And it was like, how can I make each of these auditions worthwhile, even if I don't make it? So in my head, I was like, well, I think I sure work a whole lot harder per audition than I do in a normal class. And also as a person, there are things that I want to improve on. And and it's an opportunity to work on having a generous energy or that confidence or really being grounded in who I am. Yeah, it's such a high pressure and intensity that if I can get through an audition and uphold those qualities that I want to embrace as a person, then in normal day life it will be much easier. And that's that's what I'm going to gain from these auditions. Yeah. Um, and also the other thing was I had a very supportive mother who, I mean, my parents did not want me to dance professionally. <laughs> like it's like. Um, you know, I called up my dad when I got into Boston Ballet. He's like, I know I heard the bad news. So they, <laughs> they were like, they definitely did not want me to dance professionally. But my mother did really encourage me to audition because she was like, look, your successes and doing well, that lasts for a day, right? Like you do well on an exam and it's over. You do well on something and it's over. But that tenacity and that, um, resilience and that strength of getting back up from a failure. Her thing was like, that's what will make you invincible in a way for life, right? Yeah. Like if you it, have that strength to get up from a failure, then you know, you're like, bring it on, world. <laughs> <laughs> you had great parents, have oh. great parents, I can tell. Mm. And I'll I'll share with you. I was watching uh, yesterday Will Ferrell. And this may be the first time that somebody brought up Will Ferrell when they were talking to you about maybe dance. But we like to break new ground here as we're talking. (laughs) And it was fascinating because he was being interviewed, and it was actually a serious interview where he Mm -hmm. said that at one point early in his career, his dad pulled him aside and said, look, you've got talent, but understand there's a lot of things that have to come together and lightning to strike. So don't get so stressed out about it. Just let it rip. And he went on to say that that was tremendous for him because it left the pressure off of him. And so as I hear you, Mary, it sounds like as you started to say, I'm going to focus on what I'm doing, on what my purpose is versus whether I succeed or not, that that allowed you to free up and go for it. Yeah. And also, I think some people work well under pressure. And for myself, I did discover like if I felt a ton of pressure, I would sometimes crumble. Um, and so it was a lot of, but realizing that that was all happening in my brain. <laughs> so figuring out, okay, how do I 
switch the situation so that it's not as much pressure. So for instance, dancing in front of 2000 people as the lead role in Nutcracker would be, you know, it'd be quite daunting. And I I can feel the nerves sometimes when I'm like, whew, okay. But then I'm just like, okay, this is practice for when I'm dancing in front of 200,000 people. And then all of a sudden, oh, 2000 is nothing now. (laughs) Like, you know, this is practice for when I'm performing in front of 200,000. So okay, here, bring it on, you know? You know, and it's it's fascinating to me, somebody that has accomplished so much as you have in the <laughs> academics and the science and the mm-hmm. arts, but mastering what goes on between these ears mm. is so critical, right? To allow that, to allow that performance. I think it's, I, I really believe it's like 90% of it. Uh-huh. So because I had started dance late um, and I was juggling the physics and dance, so I spent... Um, I, qu- I did not have time to be in the studio as much as others. So I really, I'm a, I, I do a lot of um, audio books. So mm-hmm. during that time, like when I'm brushing my teeth or when I was eating, I was like, it was like sports psychology books and um, anything I could get my hands on. Even there were books about public speaking. And I mean, I was in activities that were mute activities, right? Like Dance, no words, physics, no words. But I was finding so much help from that or books like Inner Game of Tennis and then bringing those tricks into um, dancing and, and everything I did. So I I think so. And I visualized and I, I mean, I, I really, really dedicated a lot of my energy and time to the mental side of it more mm-hmm. than the, the physical. Love the inner game of tennis. I'm an aspiring tennis hacker. Uh, you know, I, uh, I'll never be at, at this point in my life in tennis by the time you're 30, except for the new guys, maybe you're, you've already hit it. But I love the game. But I love what I'm hearing of finding things from other fields, mm-hmm. disciplines, and kind of picking and choosing from them to further yourself. I want to just ask about something you mentioned before. You were talking about performing in front of friends mm-hmm. and so forth the feeling of it, the Mm -hmm. energy. Yeah. And Cliff and I, we do a lot of work in technical companies and we say, yes, we're going to hang in there with you. We'll help you shape your solution. But we also want people to feel, connect with your energy and passion. Yeah. Tell us more about that, why that's important from your point of view, Merit. Well, yeah, that really drives me. I think with the dancing, it's that feeling of totally thoughts go out the window, the ultimate goal is just you give a hundred percent um and for and you want them them to feel something to be carried away to have that emotion to feel human and i think nowadays i think we're realizing the importance of it even more Right now that we've all been on Zoom, we're like, oh my god, I forgot what live performance is like. I can't wait, right? Because you'll try to watch these Zoom performances, and some are done really well, but right, there is that element of like, oh, I can't wait to breathe in another room with a bunch of other people, you know, like yes. all together. Um, yes, and feel that electricity of of yeah. being together. Yeah, so it's. I think it's a really interesting time now because, yeah, I think it's things that we have taken for granted. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I certainly, yeah, really value that. And that's kind of my drive. So you mentioned your 
hopes and dreams. And I was going to ask this later, but I can't let it ride now. What are some of your hopes and dreams, Merit? Hopes and dreams. So I think immediate ones are definitely continuing to push with this tech and art fusion. For me, it was such a gamble and risky to do my PhD right after my college degree because part of my dream is dancing, right? Being Mm -hmm. now in my early 30s and still dancing professionally, that opportunity to still be performing and pushing that boundary I think is important to me, Um, not just for myself, but also I think there's like a really silly belief out there that, you know, it all stops once you're 30 and particularly for women. And I'm just like, "Mm, but really does it have to? So I think in that sense and, and pushing the tech and would love to be publishing research papers from an arts perspective. People talk about the fusion of art and science, but at the moment it's really just arts role is like they view it as like a communication tool. Mm-hmm. I think that it has a much more important role in research and science. And so using that to publish papers, I think would be a big step for the future mm-hmm. of arts Um and I'm a I'm a believer of like having proof and evidence and action instead of just like arguing about it around the table. So yeah, absolutely. In my head, I'm like, okay, that's what I want to happen. And uh, was selected to go undergo like this astronaut selection process for BBC with uh, astronaut Chris Hadfield. And this was two years ago, and that just uh, opened my eyes. I was like, I want to go to the moon. <laughs> I'm like, I want to go. So so. Actually, a lot of this robot dancing project is kind of with that in my mind, being like the future of not just here on Earth, but also in space is is going to be robots and understanding yeah. that and human-robot interaction. So gaining that expertise gets me one step closer to the moon in my head. <laughs> that is yeah. is fascinating. and And it's interesting how the timeliness... Somebody merit with your skills, your aptitudes, your passions 50 years ago mm-hmm. wouldn't have had those opportunities. But now when we look at SpaceX and all of the different, the new space and so forth, two or three years from now, we may be doing a podcast where you're actually up on the moon and we're saying, hey, you know, what's it like up there? I'll let you guys have the first podcast if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. So when we think about the, the future of technology and art, and I know that one of the areas that you are so passionate about is getting young girls, getting women involved and passionate about STEM and so forth. Mm-hmm. So if you would, Mary, tell us about your work with Sasters, mm. which is the Science and Art Sisters. Mm-hmm. How'd you get it started and what's that all about? Yeah, so I actually had shied away from like women in physics and the women in science groups initially because I just felt like it um, accentuated the differences. And my whole thing was like, let's just like not why I emphasize this. But having done a few events with young girls, um, for instance, I was at Oxford and we were all um, having dinner in the dining hall there. Of course, they'd had all the presidents of that college and there was one female up and someone was like, oh, who's that? Like one of the young girls who was like 10. And they're like, oh, it just must have been like the wife of one of the presidents. You know, and there was like something where I was like, they do pick up on so much at yeah. that young age. Yeah. 
and things like that make such an influence. Examples and role models, and it 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 does affect them when they're quite young. So, uh, long story short, was I just wanted to create an environment where a emphasizing the creativity of science and collaboration and that it's not just sitting in a corner and reading a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so created this group. And But then it used to be the Science Arts Sisters, but now it's um, in- inclusive of like boys and girls. So over lockdown, everyone was kind of, you know, secluded in our own rooms. And I thought, oh, what a cool idea or what a opportunity to then meet other science artists around the world. Yeah. And wanted to include guys as well, because I think there's a stigma towards guys pursuing arts and mm-hmm. thought, you know, like 40 people would sign up maybe. And it was like uh, 200 people signed up in the first two days. And then it was 400 people. And I was like, wow, there wow. is a vacuum and there is a hunger and a desire to feel free to pursue both uh-huh. and to feel like they're not crazy aliens for doing that. Co-founder Montse and I, we did the first event and then we had Chris Hadfield on, and then we had Neil deGrasse Tyson on, and we've had many events, and we now have a team who's helping us organize like more events and the website and, and creating ways that everyone can collaborate together. Yeah. Well, and it's it's just outstanding. And back to what you were saying before, it's a tangible example. It's not sitting around the table and debating. It's a tangible example. How does it feel, Merit, when... Mm-hmm a young boy or a young girl, and you see them catch fire, either for dance, either for physics. How does that feel when that happens? Oh, it's the best. It's really, it is what spurs me on. My go-to kind of mantra for myself is like, I am free and I give hope. So the first part is like, okay, I'm free to make mistakes. I'm free against stereotypes and I'm free just to be me and just be free. And then the second part is like, and I give hope. So any step forward that I make, I, I possibly am giving hope to someone else who looks at me and is like, oh, if this girl can do it, I can definitely do it, you know? <laughs> hey, I may take up the study of ballet after talking with you, frankly. You're going to see me out there and you know, they'll, <laughs> it'll be on YouTube. Keep this man out of every event no. and amateur ballet, everything. He must be stopped. Um, now, that is so cool. So I, I want to read a, a quote. That, mm-hmm. that you once said, where you mentioned mm-hmm. that I gravitated towards physics because I found freedom in mm-hmm. math mm-hmm. and I was inspired by the mysteries of the universe. Mm-hmm. I love that quote, yet I will tell you, Merritt, as I've said before, I found actually terror in math mm-hmm. because as a kid and in the classrooms, I wasn't getting it, right? And uh, it just wasn't working. So if you would, tell us what you meant by finding freedom in math. My mom's like favorite story of me, one of her favorite stories, is I guess I was like three or four. I don't know how old I was. Like in the back of the car. And like I think I like look wistfully. Like I just didn't talk as a kid much. Okay. But like I like wistfully was like looking out the window. I was like, math is everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what. Uh, I guess I just started loving math when I was little. I mean, I love this um, Jean Van Neumann quote, which is, if people do not believe that mathematics is simple, it's only because they do not realize how complicated life is. Yeah. So (laughs) just there's a beauty to math. And I find it 
calm, calming because I think for me, words, I, like, I could n- never articulate exactly what I wanted to say with words. Mm-hmm. Like, I always felt like it was off. And that's, I think, why I gravitated towards dance because I was like, this is how I feel. This is how it's, like, presented. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's so raw and authentic. Um, and and I think I gravitated towards the math because there's a little bit of that freedom as well where it's like, and this is what I mean. And this is how it goes. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. there's no misreading this. Yeah, yeah. And the I love the words of raw, mm-hmm. authentic. One of the questions that comes to my mind with somebody that's done so many things, what's the toughest decision you've ever had to make in your career? I think it was when I decided to do the PhD. That was one tough one because I I really love dance. Like, I mean, it's just so much part of who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really, really tough, especially when I was like, oh, you know, have I closed that door forever? But I wouldn't do it any other way. Absolutely. And and as I think about your career, it's tough decision after tough decision in trying to do these balancing acts mm-hmm. that you do. A little bit back to this notion of the robot mm-hmm. and going on tour. And now mm-hmm. we're thinking about future just a bit. Yeah. What would that tour look like? What would it sound like? What would it feel like? And, you know, after we get the vaccine and COVID is over mm-hmm. and we, Cliff and I are going to come and we're going to bring mm-hmm. our kids and family and watch, but what would the show look like when we come? Well, it, we have things coming. So we're going to be in this gallery in central London in January and working on making it interactive. Then after that, working with an incredible director in Paris and working on creating a fanciful filming of the robot dances with um, augmented reality. Mm-hmm. Just had a really cool call about possibly performing in a really, I mean, if this happens, like awesome venue in London um, for filming. I, I am like knocking on wood. <laughs> it's like <laughs> all these things. It's like, oh my God, I can't even, I would never even dream of the stuff. Um And it will be so awesome when when we're able to do it. Even January, obviously, you've got an event planned. My daughter Abby asked me a question. She said, Mm -hmm. "At some point, will the will the robot look human? Will Mm -hmm. the you know will there be you know whether it's a fake looking face or whatever? Will that will those things come too at some point?" I'm shying away from that because I think it it's like whenever it starts to look a bit human. I think A, we see how much it's not human, mm-hmm. and B, I think people get afraid that it's replacing us, and mm-hmm. I just don't think that that's possible, not at least the, the machines that we have, um, and I'm not wanting to replace, I'm just wanting to enhance like our creativity and the way we view things, and, and so I think I would shy away from human-looking. We're not at the level where it even work. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so interesting. The when we talk about and so much of your work in breaking down barriers, when we think about women that are wanting to break down barriers, mm-hmm. what would be your advice to them? If you just had a sentence or two that you could say, look, over over my life I've learned this, what would that be? What would you tell them? I think for men and women, but it's um take whatever time you need. 
you know, take, Mm -hmm. I think we're in an era where A, it looks like everything's happening immediately, but B, also there's this pressure that like, if you're not showing exceptional talent right at the, like right out the gate, then it's not for you and don't do it and don't even try. Mm -hmm. Just put on the horse blinders, just do it in your way and take your time. Because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, if you just keep on doing it consistently, you will get there. Because I was always very, a bit slow in the beginning, I think. Like, I was never one of those, you know, people that would shine right away. I just had to, like, absorb it, take my time, read it again, take a pause, read it again. Like, I was definitely the person who would read the chapter, like, 10 more times than anyone else. Uh, I can relate to that. I totally (laughs) can, right? But then once you get it, you get it. And, mm-hmm. and there's this misperception of like how long things actually take. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the second thing is also allow yourself to feel the emotions, right? Like we're yeah. human. We're going to feel the doubts. We're going to feel fear. We're going to like, it's okay. <laughs> you know, it's what gives us momentum and that drive and that passion, like, or like spurs us on. So. I think we're also in this weird era where we're trying to like suppress the emotions mm-hmm. and feelings and and try to be super neutral about everything. It's okay. Just as long as it doesn't stop your actions. Yeah. I think you can have the fear and the doubts and just be like, okay, I'm breathing it in and let's dive in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, right. Just kind of that on? acceptance. I think about it yeah. in yoga. And again, I think there's the 15 people and the instructor says, oh my goodness, this guy over there, Eric, <laughs> he'll never get this. But it's the notion of wherever you are, that's where you are and it's okay. Instead yeah. of saying, well, I shouldn't be anxious. I'm getting on this call with Merritt. I just wish I was calmer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or whatever. Yeah. Instead of saying, it's okay. Yeah. I, I love that notion of time and embracing the feeling versus trying to push it away. And and within the realm of using it to drive you versus stop you. Mm-hmm. Couple last questions, and mm-hmm. you've been so generous with your time yeah, in this thanks. fascinating conversation. Mm-hmm. What drives you nuts, Merritt? I mean, you're out there pushing boundaries and doing things that most of us aren't. What drives you crazy sometimes? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, the, like, oh, what pushes my buttons? Rules that are silly. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I think constantly my question is like, but why? Like, but why not? You know? And um, yeah, I can be pretty chill. But then <laughs> when someone's like, but you can't do that. You can't do art and sign. Like, you know, my button goes, but why not? <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah. So I, I do have that button. Um, and it's great that you do. I'm not thrilled that <laughs> you do. I really am. Um, yeah, that I think. Uh, the way like science is taught drives me nuts. I think um, this pressure for the SATs and how school is taught drives me nuts. Stereotypes and the limitations of if you're creative, you should do arts, and if you're analytic, do science, and like no fusion of the both. And the list just goes on. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, my son Ryan is 19. My daughter Abby mm-hmm. is 17. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have them listen to this podcast yeah. because. They're at an age, and we've been trying from the youngest of ages to teach this notion of, again, intersection, collision, Mm -hmm. finding your path. Yeah. But I I love voices like this, Merritt, because this is a a conversation I think will further their understanding. 
in in sort of these critical times now where they're trying to figure out their path, what they want to study in college and and so forth. Okay, so we know what pushes your buttons. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I think Cliff and I, each one, we were like, yeah, that one drives me crazy too. I totally get it. <laughs> Flip side of it, what keeps you optimistic? Ah, I'm a believer that, yeah, the hard work they pays off. You know, if you put in the hard work and, and the universe kind of tells you where to go. I, I can be kind of stubborn, but also if I feel the tide going in a certain direction, I'll take that momentum. Like if a do- bunch of doors are opening in one way, I'm not going to turn my back and then just keep on banging on the door that's closed, right? So mm-hmm. <laughs> if, if it's going one way, like I will definitely go in that direction. And I think that there's always a list of re- projects that I'm really excited about. And so, yeah, when like, for instance, when lockdown happened and COVID happened, everything for me got canceled in 2020, right? Mm-hmm. As a dancer, like everything got canceled. Yeah, there are two options. You know, it's like ask, I always do that question. Like, I can stress out about this, bury myself in my bed and never come out. Or, okay, what are the plus sides of this? There were a bunch of projects that were kind of lower on the list that I never had time for. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of dragging those back up, like, you know, writing a book or working on a VR project or working on all these things that really excite me. The universe tells me where to go. You know, I, I would get like a ton of rejections maybe in dance and I'd be like, it's a sign I'm supposed to focus on physics. You know, the experiment's broken and the thing is going to take three months. I'm like, yeah, okay, I think it's time to go dance with the English National Ballet. Like, <laughs> you know, like, I was like, I think this is a sign the physics lab does not want me in here. I will exit for three months and then I will come back. But yeah. constantly pushing. I totally get that. And the energy is is contagious, frankly, yeah. as we <laughs> listen to you and the, the passion for these different things. Thank you. Last question, Merritt. Mm-hmm. What is there anything we miss that we should have asked? You know, when I was talking about yoga or some other thing, you said, if he just asked me this, this would be great. Oh, anything we miss? Um, I mean, if your kids are listening, I would say to them, ages 15 to 18, I, I really sympathize with um, because those were, for me, the hardest years, especially I think as females during that time, we, there's this like this pressure desire to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And so I had this teacher tell me, look, perfect is replaceable. And this was in terms of auditions, but I found it applicable for life, which was like, if you go to an audition, you're going to have thousands of people there with like amazing feet, amazing legs, just amazing. You know, everyone's going to be perfect, but you can replace one perfect person with another perfect person. Mm-hmm. But if you come to the table with something totally unique and different, no one can replace you. And also there's no one in front or behind you to compare yourself to. So you get to wander around and like bumble around and have fun. right? Yes. Like, yes. Um, so particularly to kids be like, it's okay. Like do your unique thing and people will go against you when you're being different at first, but then they're on board. <laughs> I, I love it. And the in the show, we talk about GovCon different and we talk about celebrating the crazy ones. <laughs> that that's where sometimes the greatest breakthroughs, the greatest ideas come from. And a lot of times, Merritt, we end the show and we say, keep being different. That's where the good stuff is at. Boom. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) It's like boom, boom, boom. (laughs) Merritt, I just can't thank you enough for coming on the show. It has been awesome talking with you and and hearing your ideas, your perspective on, on a range of topics. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Like I say, we'll be the first ones to the ballet when COVID is over. (laughs) I thank you. 
So did you hear that part where Dr. Moore talks about perfection? All of us, certainly I can, we strive for perfection. I love the perspective of eh, perfect can be replaced. Think about that. Merit has competed with thousands of dancers. Somebody breaks an ankle. Another dancer that knows the steps perfectly can be, you can be replaced. Yet, if you start pursuing this course of different, your passions, your motivations, your ability to go for it, it's not easily replaced. And Merit talked a lot about how sometimes you just have to think a little less and do a little more doing. And sometimes in our tech policy jungle, in the world of we can't make mistakes, we can't, we can't deal with the risk, then we're not accomplishing as much as we want to for the mission. So again, love this notion of being able to set perfect aside and lean into different. Okay, as always, you know the drill. Talk to us on social media. If you get a chance to watch Dr. Merritt Moore's videos, dancing, Love to get your feedback. Maybe you know somebody in your company that's busting down barriers, doing things differently. We'd love to hear from them too. As always, keep being different. It's where the good stuff is at. GovCon Different. Ideas from the outside applied to GovCon to drive change. It's like TED Talks meets the federal space. Different ideas from different industries uncovered, unvarnished, and smashed together to produce change in the government space. Join us as we explore a world of GovCon possibilities. GovCon Different is produced by Market Advocates, LLC, and Nexus ATX, LLC. On behalf of Cliff Sundstrom, our executive producer, and myself, Eric Prostiovsky, your host and executive producer, thank you for listening.